Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we'll be speaking about the true definition of Kabbalah. The ancient mystical teachings known as Kabbalah, which for millennia has been unknown, obscure, hidden, secret, has recently become almost a household name even fashionable. You hear the word Kabbalah. I know in my traveling and speaking engagements, when you add the word the Kabbalah of, you have double the audience. The Kabbalah of money, the Kabbalah of sexuality, the Kabbalah of Donald Trump. Just kidding. The Kabbalah of anything right away adds to the intrigue. So one would think, okay, Everything has its time. Once obscure and hidden and concealed, now it's become popular and fashionable. But is that really the case? Do we really know what Kabbalah is? Do we even know the meaning of the word Kabbalah? Ask yourself. Ask anyone out there. What does the word mean? So most people say the secrets of existence the secrets of the cosmos. Is that the definition of the word Kabbalah, or is that what the teachings teach? And even that, what does that mean, the secrets of the cosmos? So we will be speaking about this, obviously. And the reason I'm discussing it now is because tonight, New York time, where I am, in Israel it's already begun six, seven hours earlier. In, in Australia, it's almost the end of the day, not quite, Thursday, this Thursday, meaning tonight and tomorrow, is called Lag Ba'omer. The 33rd day of the Omer counting, which refers to the 33rd day that we count from the second day of Passover, the countdown for 49 days to reach the 50th Zenith Shavuot, the celebration of Sinai. If you're familiar with my book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, and the app, my Omer app, very popular it's become a guide for many people, a staple, as they travel through this journey, this 49-day step, personal refinement journey. So the 33rd day of this journey has a unique meaning, has unique significance, is the day which we actually celebrate, even though throughout the, this 49-day period is considered to be a subdued time. We don't make weddings, we don't celebrate. Primarily one of the reasons is because the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva who did not respect each other died in an epidemic. So we honor that with a certain humility, not celebrating. But on the 33rd of the counting, 33rd day of this period, the epidemic ended. And the second thing that's connected with is Rab Shimon Bar Yechai, otherwise known by his acronym, Rajbi. And I'll refer to him as that. The great Talmudic sage was also the greatest mystic of them all, the first mystic that codified, in the, just as the Talmud and the Medrash codifies the oral tradition of law and the Agada, which is the homiletics, the parables, the stories, and so on, Rab Shbi, codified in the book called the Zohar, the Holy Zohar, the Book of Splendor, which is considered the classic magnum opus, the classic work of mysticism. A lot of it is very cryptic, but some of it is understandable, but it becomes so-called like the Bible. I wouldn't call it the Bible Bible, 
because it's still oral interpretation, but in the world of mysticism, it's the first codified work, so to speak. There are works, they say, preceded, one is the Book of Formation, say, for Yitzhirah, attributed to Abraham, you have Raziel HaMalach, the angel Raziel, attributed to Adam. But the Zohar goes down as the book that really um, establishes. It's a commentary on the entire Torah, but it has many different sections in it, and Rajbi is the author of that. He didn't write it himself. He had a student called Rab Abba, who he dictated to, who wrote down, including writing down actually the narrative, the events that happened on this day when Rajbi passed away. But, but something unique happened. Rabshuvan Bayechai, this, this great sage, requested that his day of passing should be celebrated for the generations as a Yom Simchosei, my day of joy, because the day where my soul reconnected with God in the purest sense of the word, not fettered, unfettered by the bounds of the body and the limitations of the body. <clears throat> so ever since Lagba Omra has become a day of celebration, celebrating as Rajbi and requested, commanded, expected of his students, and that has become and grown through the generations, and that is why, if you go to Israel, you can see it online, Literally hundreds of thousands of people make a pilgrimage in this 24-hour period to Miran, which is in northern Israel, where his, uh, where his gravesite, where his ohel, where he laid to rest. And they sing during the night and they celebrate exactly as he had requested. And this is a custom done all over the world in many communities. Why is this so significant? Well, why would there be a celebration more on this day than so many other special yard sites? Great people passed away. Moses passed away. Other sages, even Rabbi Akiva, the great sage and, and teacher of Rajbi. Because there's something about Rajbi, which is also shrouded in mystery, that captivated, that captured our imagination. And therefore, till this day, has some type of impact on us. It's a day considered to be a day that miracles can happen especially regarding the opening up of wombs, women who can have children, and the same also psychologically and emotionally, those that have different blocks and impediments and obstacles. It's a day of openings, which is what Rabbi Yashim and Bayechai did. We'll talk more about it through this uh, talk, through this presentation, which is a special presentation in honor of Lagba Imr. And that's why we're talking about the true definition of Kabbalah. <clears throat> I hope you'll find this as fascinating and as interesting as I did when I discovered these ideas and continuously discover new elements and new dimensions and new depths. So let's begin why Kabbalah does, for some reason, capture people's attention. Because people like the secrets. Let's be honest. Human beings gravitate to the exotic, the exotica. Things that are apparent or revealed we always want to know what's behind the door, what's under the dashboard, what's behind the scenes. Beyond the doors of perception. And we look for that mystery. So it's not surprising that people are intrigued when you hear the mysterious esoteric teachings. You hear the secrets of the soul, the secrets of the cosmos, the blueprint and DNA of existence of the universe and beyond. The, blue, the divine blueprint that makes us all tick. These are fascinating elements. 
And that's why on one hand, yes, it does touch upon, touch a certain resonating element in us wanting to know, like just like children like to open up and, and see what makes something tick. We want to know what makes things tick. And we've heard that the Kabbalah teaches that. So we're interested. But what the great care has to be taken, that it shouldn't feed on, and, and spill over into sensationalism. Which is why they say, by Kabbalah, those that say don't know, and those that know don't say. Which of course creates the quandary, if I say anything, it means I don't know. However, as we shall discuss, there came a time that Kabbalah did become more revealed. For certain very important reasons. So what is Kabbalah? What is really, the, first of all, the meaning of the word? Because once we have the meaning of the word, that will become the key that will open up for us this fascinating journey into the deeper dimensions of existence and of ourselves. So the word Kabbalah, surprise, surprise, it would be deceptively simple. It means to receive or reception. That's all it means, to receive or reception. And you'd say, what, one second, what does that mean? I mean, if I have a mobile phone and it has a, uh, has a signal, I'm receiving, I'm receiving. Indeed, that's the key to what Kabbalah truly is. So though all knowledge is passed on from teacher to student, from parent to child, from generation to generation, which means the student has to be in receptive mode, the receptor or receptacle, receiving from the giver, from the transmitter, Yet, when it comes to these teachings, it's even more critical. And that's why the entire study of it is called Kabbalah. And for two reasons. You need to be in a, a receiver from someone before you. It's not something you can come up with your own ideas. These are ideas that, in order to preserve their integrity and to really have the impact, they really need to be pure and passed on from teacher to student. So you need to be in Kabbalah. Who did you... Who are you macabre from? Who did you receive from? You can say, well, all knowledge is that way, true. But the more subtle the knowledge and the more profound, the more dense, the more subtle, the more important it is to have that receiving teacher from student. And the second element, which goes even deeper and connected to the first reason, is that you need to be in a receiving mode. If you're a master, or you feel you're a master, you feel you have a lot to give, that's not the mode of Kabbalah. The mode of Kabbalah is, I am an empty receptacle, an empty channel, channeling something greater than I am. So though, again, this is true for all knowledge, but when it comes especially to spiritual, to the spiritual DNA, the inner workings of existence and of the human being, there it's even more amplified and more important. Because you're dealing with literally the nuances. Think of it this way. When you perform surgery, especially sensitive surgery, neurological surgery, brain surgery, or heart surgery, it's very different from other types of surgery. Now, all surgery, you need a master. You don't, want a, you don't want a novice. Because every part of the body is intricate. But the more intricate it is, the more care has to be in how it's taught. Because one slip, God forbid. And on the other hand, you're dealing with very, very subtle areas of the human being, and therefore much more complex and much more important to have be in a receiving mode, a humble mode. A little tinge of arrogance when it comes to mathematics or it comes to other elements of study is also not healthy because arrogance distorts the mind, creates biases and prejudices, and you can end up making mistakes. 
But when it comes especially to sensitive matters of life and sensitive matters of life and death, where every detail, every micro detail matters, then it has to be so much more so that state of Kabbalah, of having being a student and being in a student state always. Because when you're dealing with these inner matters, as we're going to explain now, you'll see why it's so critical. So in life in general, a person has two states. The way we're givers, the way we're takers. Or I would say receivers and transmitters. In the early parts of our lives, we're more receptacle mode. Children learn. They learn from their, envir- they learn from their parents, from their environments, from their schools, from their friends, from their teachers, for good or for bad. But that's a child is a, empty, is a dry sponge, an empty container, and just beginning to fill up with energy. As we get older and we become more familiar with information, we also start mastering it, and then we can also become teachers. In truth, a healthy human being should be both a student and a teacher different times. But you begin by first absorbing, then by processing, as I've discussed many, many times. Now, if a person never is an absorber, didn't know how to listen well, you can't trust that they'll know how to speak well. Because they didn't really have that state where they were humbled, where they were modest, where they were in that point where they are a student of information. Then you can ask yourself a question, do they really convey the integrity of the original? I've seen people are brilliant. And they present an idea, and very often I go check, and I see it's not, they didn't really master what it said. They were smart, so they got it quickly, and they convey it more or less, and sometimes actually with mistakes, but you can tell they rushed, and they began to transmit before they absorbed. You want someone who spent many years absorbing, learning, apprenticing, residency, before they become a teacher. So that is critical, as I said, in all aspects of life. But especially when you're dealing with the secrets of and DNA of our souls, of our bodies, of who we are, then it takes on a whole new shape and form. Why? Because think of it this way. If somebody gets up there and is doing a, a course on real estate, real estate tips, or uh, writing tips, or cooking tips, even if they have a tinge or more than a tinge of arrogance, you may say, you know what? I don't care about their arrogance. At least I'm getting what, I'm, what my money's worth. I get the tips. I don't care about the person. But if they're talking about matters of the heart and soul, about emotions, about empathy, about how to reach a more deeper transcendent state, and, you, and they stink from arrogance, it taints the whole communication. They say, can I trust this? They're very good. They're academic. So it's one thing being academic about a subject matter that is not important that you be an example of it. But I don't want to find out that a person is cruel to their children or to their spouse or to other people and talking to me about sensitivity. You say, why not? You just kabbalah emes memisha amre, receive the truth from wherever it is. But here you're learning it from a person and you say to yourself, you know what, is that the message that you can be one thing and say another? So when it comes to matters, as I said, real estate or something like that, there too humility couldn't hurt, wouldn't hurt, and we'd be more receptive. But when it comes to matters of the heart and soul, you want some integrity, at least an attempt at integrity. A person can say, I'm not perfect. What I'm teaching, I also aspire to. But 
You don't see them using the material to be arrogant. That's why it's so vital to have that receptive mode. When it comes to psychological, emotional, spiritual issues, we'll call it psycho-spiritual matters, the Kabbalah mode is even more vital than ever. Firstly, that creates empathy. Like they say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Secondly, you can trust the material. And thirdly, the material is actually being conveyed consistent with what its message is. As I said, cooking, so you're cooking, fine. So you conveyed it whatever way you conveyed it. At least you gave me the recipe. You gave me the, the tools, the method. But here, it's the, it's the approach as well. How you teach it is also part of what you're teaching. I can go on and on, but I think the point is clear. So that's why when it comes to Kabbalah, it was always taught with so much care. It was not taught in big groups. It was kept secret. Not because secret to be confidential, but because it's so easy to abuse. When you start understanding the inner workings of a human being, and you're not a compassionate person, and you're not a person of integrity, you can become a con artist. You can start getting to your, start, can start getting to your head that you know how to figure out people. You can become a manipulator. <clears throat> That's on a gross level. More subtly, you can make mistakes in such an area that you only want people who really respect. You don't want anyone in the, in the internal surgery room that does not have the trust, is not clean, is not sterilized. And in this case, spiritually and emotionally and psychologically, tampering with the inner workings of people and the, and the cosmos. So if they were just mechanics, plumbers, it's one thing. I'm talking about physical plumbers. So they're dealing with something where you don't need to have that level of sensitivity. But if they are dealing with that inner self, I'm, giving, I'm entrusting them with my soul, with my life, there you want them to be in a, in a Kabbalah state, that they're receiving. They're not the powerful, all-powerful mastery over you. They are channeling that which came to them from their teacher, so Kabbalah as in receiving from their teacher, and which they're receiving right now because they're empty receptacles and allowing it to flow through them. And that becomes critical. That is why it's so challenging when you see today Kabbalah has become popular, fashionable, you have to always wonder, are people, is, is there the element of that humility? Is there the element of that modesty, that bittel, that suspension of self? Or people like sometimes say, you know, I'm a Kabbalist. I know a lot of Kabbalah. And I'll tell you what I know. And they start spouting off. And they may even actually know stuff. But in many ways, they know less than someone who doesn't know. Because they're missing the whole point. The whole point is that it creates a more humbler person. Not someone who can say, hey, I got a PhD in mathematics. I have a PhD in, uh, in, in uh, medicine and law, and I also have a PhD in Kabbalah. No, it doesn't work that way. Kabbalah is not about PhDs. Kabbalah is, the PhD is how much you've emptied yourself. How much have you freed yourself of your ego? How much have you gone beyond your self-interest and comfort zone? That's the PhD in Kabbalah. But you don't get a PhD because on that level, we don't look for awards or rewards or any other type of recognition. You're just who you are. You're a humble, simple servant of a higher truth. And that's what the true Kabbalists were, starting from Rav Shimon by Yechayu, whose Lag Ba'omer is his yard site, his Yem Hilula, Yem Simcha, his day of joy. And that will explain why he, he, of all people, we celebrate. Because he wasn't just another person. There were tremendous sages, and they were all humble people. Rabbi Akiva, the greatest of the great. He taught... Love your fellow as, the, as yourself 
is a fundamental principle. Great of great. But he didn't have that element. He himself says in the Talmud that my student Rashbi, he is the cream of the crop. Now that doesn't take away from Rabbi Akiva. Everyone has their role. What was Rabbi Shimon Bayecho's key role? To bridge two worlds. The world of the superconscious and the world of the conscious. The revealed and the hidden. And that's why he was a master in both worlds. Rabbi Akiva and others were also masters. They also knew Kabbalah. But he was the teacher. I should say the student, the Kabbalah. In many ways, he represented that element of a, of a transparent and empty container channel. The Talmud says. Rabbi, Akiva, Rabbi Ashbi said, All I am is a sign, a signpost. I'm nothing. I am nothing. I am just a channel. Look at me as a signpost. That's what he said. Because he channeled that deeper and higher wisdom. Again, I want to make it clear that Rabbi Akiva, many sages did that. But some people stand out for what they did in that way, and that's what he represented. The bridging of those two worlds, the bridging of the world of the soul and the world of the body. The soul of Torah, the body of Torah. The soul of the human being, the body of the human being. The soul of the cosmos, the body of the cosmos. Because as the Kabbalah teaches, as well as the Talmud and the Medras, the sages teach, another fundamental beautiful principle, microcosm, macrocosm. Everything that gets, exists in the macrocosmic universe, at the cosmic level, exists microcosm in a miniature form within us. Elam Kotten Adam. The small universe, the mini universe, the universe of microcosm, that's the person. And and the human and the world is a large organism, a large microcosm. Macrocosm, I should say. So it's all intertwined. And like a hologram, it's not just intertwined, it's all continuously interconnected as one large integral unity, multifaceted pieces. Harmony within diversity. That's what Rabbi Shirin Bayechai taught. So the true meaning, definition of Kabbalah is to receive. Is to free yourself, to empty yourself, to shed your sense of self in order to absorb and channel and receive something greater than yourself. That's its essence. And in Kabbalistic teachings, in the mystical things, it's more important than ever. When you're studying, let's say, law, halacha, Jewish law, you're studying, for example, what's supposed to be done on Shabbat, what's not, what laws, what, what work you can do, what, what you can't do, what prayers to say, what you eat on Passover, what you do on Shavuos. So there you're mastering facts. Facts are the intricate facts, many different opinions, there's theories, there's ideas. But it's facts. You need humility as well. All wisdom, the beginning of all wisdom is awe of the divine, of something greater than you are. But when you're dealing with the inner dimension, the subtlety becomes so much greater. Think of it like this. When a piece of dust is on your finger, a little ego on your finger, a blemish. But if the little piece of dust is on your eye, then it's very irritating. The deeper you go, inside the inner workings, every small nuance, every detail, every iota is so much more significant. That's why on the level of the DNA, of the cellular level, the microscopic level, then every little detail matters so much more. So on the Kabbalah, every little blemish, every tinge of ego, that's not Kabbalah mode, 
meaning receptive mode will distort. It may not distort immediately, but in time. So that's critical for the journey. So when people say, I want to go on a journey to Kabbalah, the more you want, the less you'll have it. The Kabbalah, journey of Kabbalah requires stepping back and don't want it so much. You say, but, second, but I do want it. Get the I out of the, the sentence. Not I want it. You want to experience something greater? Free yourself. Of what? Of your ego. Of your determination even. Just become a humble, simple person. And you know what will happen? These vistas will open up for you. It emerges. You cannot acquire it. Trying to force it goes against the whole nature of it. Try to force the petals of a flower to open. Try to force a child to come out of the womb prematurely, God forbid. It needs the time to develop. It needs time to emerge. And it's a process. It's a process and emergence that we need. And we need the humility, the Kabbalah state of being, where you're in a receptive mode, where you're not the giver, that you're not the acquisitioner, the acquirer, you're not the buyer, the purchaser. You are in a receptive mode, and then it emerges. Abraham went searching for God. He realized by process of elimination that it's not in his own environment. His father was a massive, major idol manufacturer. You need a God, an idol, I have one for you. Abraham at young age realized it's a whole bluff. He realized these, idol, these, these, um, these idols made of wood or stone or, or metal were, 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 were meaningless. So he rejected the, the world of the pagan world of his father and of his community and of his, his, his uh, society. He began searching. How do you search? You start saying, okay, it's not that. What may it be? He went out into the meadows, into the fields, into nature. Looked around. Beautiful nature. So the sun, the moon, maybe it's that. Then he realized the sun sets, the moon sets. They're just part of the same creation. They're just bigger, more distant, maybe more awesome. And he came slowly to a process of elimination saying, it's not this, so where is it? The stars, is it beyond the stars? And then he came to the big epiphany, the realization. I'm looking for my creator. I'm looking for God. I'm just a piece of the whole creation. If there's indeed a creator, I'm one little piece. How could the piece define the whole? The whole defines the piece. And he realized the actual search was undermining his ability to truly experience it. Of course you can experience some levels of transcendence. But when he discovered that, he has to let go. And then he, what happened? You know what happened? It emerged. His search itself, though commendable and admirable, and everybody should search, his search led him that I should stop searching now. Maybe just let it emerge. Let me close my eyes, my ears, my taste, touch, and smell, let me stop using my aggressive faculties and resources and senses and let me see what happens. And that quietude, in that silence, God emerges. Because the truth emerges from within. It's not something out there. Again, you could experience some things out there, but the truth it comes from within. And when Abraham realized that, he said, I just have to let go. I need to be Kabbalah state. I need to be in receptive mode. Stand in front of of a, of a beautiful uh, natural um, wonder. What happens? If you're trying to master it, you're trying to let me take pictures of it, let me analyze it, let me explain it, there's a certain moment where you have to realize you just let go. Just stand. Stand in awe. 
And it's an unbelievably purifying and transformative and refining experience. Because it's not about you. You suddenly get absorbed in the moment. Think of music. You're listening to music. If you start analyzing this music, I like it. Stop. Stop everything. Let go. In a way, undress everything. You know what happens? The music envelops you, engulfs you. Just like when you go underwater. There's that peace. You allow it to consume you instead of you consuming it. But if you're a consumer, if you're a purchaser, an acquisition person becomes commercial. Same thing when you're absorbed in a book. If you're reading the words and you recognize the words and the pages, you're not in the zone, you're not in the moment. Let go, and then suddenly you're reading the book as if it's happening right now. You can cry and laugh, and someone come by and say, well, he's reading a good book. You don't even realize you're turning pages. You don't even realize there's words on the page. A good writer can do that. Everything melts. Everything melts where the object and subject become one, and you're completely absorbed. Those are the most magical moments of life. And then suddenly you wake up, and you're out of it. The same things when we're in love. When deep love, the passions and throes of love, what is, what is the ultimate experience? A loss of self, completely melting and absorbed in the experience. We wish we could have much more of that, but we're human beings that do live in a world of duality and don't always, are not always blessed to be able to come into that place where you melt into the experience. But that's the ultimate experience. You become it, not you experience it. A dry hand becomes wet when it's put into water. A fish is part of the wetness, but water itself doesn't become wet. It is wetness. You can acquire knowledge or you can become knowledge. You become what you know, not just you know the, the idea. You become it. You experience it. And initially you experience that you're here, and you're experiencing something, then they come into one. Rajbi personified this type of seamlessness of all of existence. And he lived on that level. It was a very sublime and very pure level. But the mission and goal was not to remain there, was to enter a world that, of duality, a world of pettiness, and there repair. As the story is, that Rajbi had to hide from the Romans who pursuing him because he studied and taught Torah, which was a forbidden death penalty. So he hid for 12 years in a mire in a cave, miraculous food, all becoming this Unbelievably sublime state with his son, Rabbi Loza. Then came news that he can come back home. So he came back, but he was at this point so refined, so away from civilization, that as soon as he saw the nonsense, the pettiness, the meaningless things people get involved in, the Wall Street, the polarization of politics, whatever he looked at, the Talmud says, began to burn, figuratively or literally, meaning... His deep spiritual state could not tolerate. And therefore destroyed everything around him. So God says to him, no, 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 you're not ready. You're not mature enough. Go back a 13th year, bar mitzvah you, become more mature. And now the 13th, the 13th year, one more year, Rajbi, wherever he went, he repaired. Whatever was broken, he fixed. You'd think the first level is much greater. He's so high spirituality yeah but that's not the purpose of existence the purpose of existence is to be that spiritual but also know how to package it how to tailor it how to communicate it to a world to a conscious world to a world that is not living on that sublime level and slowly spoon feed slowly teach them also how to become that type of sublimity 
And that's Rashbi, the man of Lagba Omer. So even though it was his passing, which is a sad day, his death, but because he saw the seamlessness and unity of everything, he immediately saw within the passing, he saw the great beauty and the great joy that would come out of it that does till this day. Similar to his teacher, Rabbi Akiva, actually. The Talmud, the, Maka, the end of Makkah says, the whole tells an interesting story. Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues were standing and looking at the Temple Mount. And they were bemoaning the fact that the destruction of the Temple, they saw fox running out of the place that was once the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, fox, a wilderness. It became a, a desolate wilderness. So his colleagues began to cry because it was the fulfillment of the, the tragic fulfillment of the prophecy. The Temple would be destroyed for the sins of the people. And Rabbi Kiva began to laugh. What are you laughing? So he says, because read on the prophecy, there's the end of it, that after that it will be rebuilt, greater than ever, and never be destroyed again. So what was the difference? And then the, his colleague said to him, Akiva Nechamtani, Akiva Nechamtani, Akiva, you've consoled us. Akiva, you've consoled us. Twice consoling, consoling for the sad and consoling for the positive that come, come out, came out of it. What did Rabbi Akiva see that they didn't see? He had a different set of eyes because his name was Rabbi Akiva. Akiva comes from the word Akiv, the heel. He came from a dark place. He was a convert or his parents were converts, different opinions. He did not study Torah until he was 40 years old. He knew a life that was desolate and he saw from desolation come greatness. So he understood something that others who grew up in, in prosperity, spiritual prosperity and knowledge, did not fully appreciate. So it's no surprise that his student, Rabbi Shimon Bayechai, as Rabbi Hill of Parish says in the name of the Rabbi Shnei Zam, the Alter Rebbe, that for great souls like him, there was no destruction. He was so beyond destruction. But he still lived in a world of destruction. And he still had to do something to repair that destruction. But his soul, his experience, Rashbi, like even deeper than Rabbi Akiva in a way, but taking Rabbi Akiva's cue, sees even in the negative, the positive. And teaches us how to transform. That's the power of the esoteric. So now, once we know that we have to be in that mode, so then, you know what happens? Your soul starts speaking to you. If you're going to try with a, with a um, jackhammer and with a pliers, try to force your soul to speak to you, and say, I want to know the secrets of Kabbalah, like I said before, with aggressive tools... That can work for physical things. You, you break open the chest and you see what secrets it holds. With the soul, you need the opposite tools of subtlety, tools of humility. You want your soul to speak to you? Let go. Stop pursuing. Stop being so much about yourself. More humility. Be charitable and something will open up. Because it speaks to us only when, it is no, when there's nothing else in the way. It's like the Talmud says, God says, I, me, an arrogant, I and an arrogant person cannot rest under one canopy. There's no room for both of us. If your cup is full, it can't be filled. Kabbalah says, empty your cup. You know what will happen? Your soul will begin to speak to you. So it's humility. It's the commitment and dedication to responsibility. Like being a soldier and committed to a cause that allows the secrets of your soul and of the cosmos to open up. For centuries, this was kept a very private thing because only a few people really were able to do it. And those that did it, did it for everybody else. But we don't live in a world like that anymore. It's not a pure world. Today, number one, we live in much darker times. And therefore, we have to dig deeper 
in order to find spiritual resources. As the famous analogy of Rabbi Shneur Zalmav Viyadi to his colleague. He said, how are you teaching these secrets to everybody? They'll abuse it. They'll waste it. He says, well, you know, he gave the analogy of a child who fell very ill, the child of a king, his only child, and he was deathly ill, and the doctors gave up hope. Nothing worked. And they sent for doctors and medical experts from all over the world. Nothing. Finally, one exotic city, a doctor arrives, says, I have a thought. The king has a crown. In that crown are some of the most precious jewels on earth. There's this most precious gem of all is a rare, rare gem. Nobody else has it. If you crush that gem and you mix its powder with a little water, we'll try to get it between the clenched teeth of the silk, sick, sickly child. That may help. Most of it may even drip out. And they looked at the king, his most precious jewel. King, without hesitation, what do I need my crown for if my son, my heir is not here? And they crushed it, and that's what they did. And most of it spilled on the ground. Wasted. But that one drop saved the child. And even the doubt was enough. So Rabbi Shnei Zalma said, yes, the precious gem of the inner workings, which we don't just share with everyone, is necessary today because the child is sickly. Assimilation, alienation, disorientation. Everything that people experience today when it comes to spirituality. So we have to do whatever it takes. We sometimes go deeper as the Arizal, the great Kabbalist, perhaps the iconic Kabbalist, as great as the Rajbi, some say even greater, who taught that the Rajbi, actually revealed it, said, mitzvah legal Now it's a mitzvah to reveal that inner wisdom. And the Baal Shem Tov took it a step further when he heard from the Messiah that when will you come? He asked the Messiah, Messiah said, when your wellsprings, your wellsprings, not just your waters, the wellsprings themselves, the essence, their source itself, will be disseminated and spread outward to the farthest outskirts. And Hasidic teachings, which is essentially Kabbalah for the modern time, developed, Rabbi Shneir Zalmo Viyadi developed the Chabad system of making it understandable even to the animal soul, meaning with examples and metaphors and analogies that we can relate to these deeper spiritual concepts. In many ways, that reveals even a deeper dimension if you're able to do that. The risk, there's a risk, but I said it's life and death. And it's also a foretaste of what will come in the future in the Messianic age. Or even children, like in the time of Rajbi, will be able to relate to the deeper workings of the soul. So today, ironically, though we're not on the level of the people in the previous generations, but we have much more revelation of this, but it has, still has to be taught with care. As the Tzemach Tzedek and others write, it's very important to talk, to speak about it in, with metaphorical language. People shouldn't take literally many of the Kabbalistic analogies, which are from human beings. And to teach the esoteric, teach the subtlety of it. As I said before, if you have that Kabbalah mode, you teach the subtlety of it. And what do you discover? Unbelievable insights. And yes, secrets of the inner workings, of the inner schematics of the spiritual genome of the human being and of the cosmos. I've spoken about some of these matters at different times, and it literally opens up a whole new dimension of who you are. Youth may think you are arms, legs, body, limbs, organs, but we know today the human body is made up, all those are made up of underlying tissue, and muscles and nerves and skeleton. You go even deeper inside there, you find 
the circulatory system, the nervous system, the neurological system, to the point of the cellular level, to the point of the chromosomes, the DNA itself. Things are invisible to the naked eye. Same thing in the macrocosm, also in the microcosm. Everything of substance is made up of elements, elements of molecules, molecules of, of atoms, atoms of subatomic particles, sub-subatomic, and who knows how far down the rabbit hole you can go. And all that teaches us that when you go into the inner workings, it's a whole new reality. All of technology is really a revelation of the inner, you could say of the esoteric, which is not a surprise. The classic Zohar work that I mentioned from the Rajbi actually says in one of the chapters that the year, which corresponds to our, our 1850, I'm, one second, tough race, would be um, 1840, I'm sorry, the Industrial Revolution. There'll be an explosion of upper, higher knowledge and lower knowledge. Explosion of the esoteric teachings of Kabbalah and of the sciences and technology. They both go hand in hand. It's the inner workings. But obviously the Kabbalah goes even deeper. It's into the spiritual um, atoms and subatomic particles, the spiritual DNA. And we discover a whole new reality. And when you know that reality, you can understand existence in a new way. You no longer just look at surface level, you understand the forces that shape the surface, just like meteorologists will tell you the systems, the pressure systems, the underlying forces, the winds, and so on, that cause weather systems. You go, the Kabbalists will tell you what's behind those meteorological forces, what's behind the human being's outer expression, the inner psyche. So yes, it's deeply therapeutic and deeply psychological and deeply spiritual. And the more you study it, the more you come to realize, look at the world from the inside out instead of the outside in. That's what Kabbalah truly is. And it opens up new vistas and unprecedented insights to be able to live life in a completely fresh and new way, with new possibilities. To be able to have healthy relationships and reach potential that many of us are not even aware of because you discover those inner workings. But there's that prerequisite. You can't go there. It doesn't let you in unless the door opens and the door can only open by you putting yourself aside and allowing it to emerge. And then you'd be surprised what happens. So we do that through study where you put yourself aside and just study. We do it through prayer and we do it through good deeds, through charitable acts, acts of compassion. The more refined you are, the more humble and modest, the more selfless and put yourself aside, the more this emerges. But obviously studying it gives you the information. So my friends, on this like bomber, which is the door is a, is a um, bridge, and I would say a door opener. It opens up a, a window, a door, to a new reality. We have the opportunity to enter there, but through that humble attitude. We celebrate with children on Lag Bomber. Not a surprise, because children are exactly that. They're the best who we are, the egoless, the selflessness. Now children could, yes, be arrogant, but they usually learn it from adults. But children also have that innocence, that simplicity. We need to be like children on Lag Bomber. And then carry it over to the rest of the year. So to give one example, because there's so much, one example. One example is a whole discussion in the Zohar, in the esoteric teachings, 
about the idea of what's called moichas timah. Moichas timah means the concealed or the hidden intelligence. What some would call subconscious, unconscious, I like to call supraconscious, because it's beyond conscious. Moichas timah. That's, that's an area that we don't have direct access to. However, the conscious mind does have access. How does it have access? A small little door window opens up between the two where we cannot see that window. We only, an idea settles in or enters your consciousness. Where did it come from? You say where? That's bitl. The power of what? What was that? So based on the Zohar, in several places, Hasidic teachings explain that this bridge between Chach Mestema and Chach Magluya, which we call superconscious intelligence, conscious intelligence, is that, that bridge, that faucet, that, that regulates the flow, like a valve, can be opened through two ways. One is through effort, and the second is through, you name it, selflessness, bitl, kabbalah sale, where you just commit to the cause. You cannot open it with arrogance. You cannot open, on the contrary, that will make it even closed even deeper. It's like you see, sometimes you'll see a child hiding, and you, say, you go aggressively to find the child, the child will run away. A flower will open when you allow it to open. If you try to push it, the flower can maybe even tighten up. <clears throat> so it's the process of letting go that allows that door to open up. The effort, which means diligence, not just automatically hoping that it'll just come to you, and a type of commitment and selflessness. It's one thought that comes from the Ozar's teaching is explained, as I said, in Hasidic thought. There are many, many others, and they map out everything about us. In my book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting Number, the ideas that are based there are from Kabbalistic and Hasidic and Kabbalistic works, ultimately based on the Zohar, how each one of the spheres is another divine attribute that turns into a human faculty. And when we refine it, and we just don't give in to our natural instincts and impulses, but we refine our chesed, our kindness, and our gvur, our discipline, and our compassion, and our ambition and determination, and our humility and yielding, our bonding and our dignity, you align yourself. These are esoteric ideas, that, but it shapes who you are as a person. But it's all the, pre- all the prerequisite for all of it is the selfless humility, the bitl, the kabbalah, that's so much part of it. So on this day, it's a great idea to actually study something. You can go online, meaningfullife.com. You have different, just look up Rajbi, or like Baomer, or Zohar, kabbalah. Kabbalah, study something, read something, but also make a commitment to yourself, to your soul, to the soul of these teachings, that you're going to try to discover more. But out of, but do it not in this aggressive manner. Commit to it and, and stick to it, but stick to it and commit to it in a humble way. Meaning not that I want it, but it's necessary. It's necessary for me to grow. What better way to celebrate Celebrate with our children, with our grandchildren. Go to the park. People go to parades. But celebrate the bridge between the inner and the outer because ultimately the world in which we live is the tip of the iceberg. We don't really see the inner workings. The more you get connected, the more you connect reality. And the more that has a ripple effect on people around you, on your friends, on family, on strangers, and then ultimately in the world. And yes, it enhances relationships. It improves them 
infinitely. Because you start looking at life from a different way, not from the outside in. What do I have? And then let me figure it out. What do, who, what do I do? And then let me figure out who I am. Who are you? And then let that dictate what you do. Figure out why I'm here. Purpose. And that dictates your activities. So may like Baumer open up these channels of blessings from Rajbi to all of us, to each of us. Please know that Meaningful Life Center is here for you. We're partners. Access, take advantage, make use of all our rich resources that are on our website. And please stay in touch in every possible way. Connect with us, share, like, pass it on. We're here every Wednesday. This is a live program, but it's archived. You can download on iTunes, podcasts, however you wish. We're on all platforms. And please send us your suggestions, ideas, feedback, thoughts, rebuttals, questions. I said questions. Thoughts. And everyone should have a very blessed week, a week that connects the inner and the outer. And b'schus and the merit of Rajbi should, 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 uh, should serve us all well. As, he, as Rajbi said, that you can rely, that, 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 like the colleagues of Rajbi said, you can rely on him when things are pressured. And Rajbi himself said, I can redeem you from the judgments. May he redeem us from all judgments. May we be redeemed in the general sense, personal and global redemption and the merit of this beautiful and powerful day. Everyone be well. This has been Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com. Thank you so much.